Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name, my name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my co-hostess in life, my partner in crime, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Shakira. Shakira? Yeah. Where did that come from? I don't know. We're not in Mexico. Shakira, Shakira. I don't know. (laughs) I forgot my name. Well, your real name is... Just Jen. Now, you said Shakira, so here's funny fact. Jen and I have a place down in Mexico. We have Mm -hmm. a place down in Cabo, and when she goes down there and she goes to a coffee place, she always says, when they ask, what's your name? She goes, Shakira. Shakira. You kind of look like Shakira. I know. My hips don't lie. (laughs) That was that, a joke. That was good. See, I told you, I come I, with jokes. You are, you always <laughs> just continue to just surprise me. After 26 years married, 31 years together, you still float my boat. You want to know why I surprise you still? Why? Is because up until recently, you worked full time, like a lot of hours in the day. So you didn't get to hang out with me that much, right? And now I hang out and with you. And now you hang out with me and you're like, you do some weird stuff. <laughs> You sing weird, you do weird things. And I'm like, I've never done weird stuff. You're just actually paying attention to me now. You know what's so crazy about that is is the fact that after after 26 years married, uh-huh. 31 years together. Right. Like I'm still learning stuff about you. And that whole, like you, your whole little soothing... <laughs> I have a humming thing. You, she does this. I don't. It's almost like a lyric or something. It's a lullaby. It's maybe <laughs> that is gets stuck in her head in the most random point. Like she'll be doing something, and all of a sudden there's just little. It's like three words or three little hums. I mean, it takes like two, three seconds to do, and she just do it to herself. She'll just. <laughs> I'm soothing myself. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I never, I, in, I'm calming my body. I know. I'm, I'm like, do you always do that? And it's like something I never noticed because we didn't spend as much time as we do now yeah. together. Well, I suffer from extreme anxiety. I mean, my shirt today, what's it say? Mile High Anxiety Club. Yeah. So I think it helps me calm my body and soothe myself. And like, it's like taking a deep breath, but I, I, I guess want to be on American Idol one day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although you did tell me that you, I can never go to Hollywood. Okay, so since so we added you on one of your quirks, what's mm-hmm. one of my quirks that you've noticed that we've that I've done since we've been hanging out? Um, you do a weird quirk when we drive. What? Yeah, when we drive, and you know you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, like passing or you know, bullying the driver in front of you. What do you mean? You know, like the road rage or What are you talking about? Yeah, you do. And you, Sean likes to think that if he rides your behind, that you're going to pull over. And usually you just don't. Like if you do that to me, I'm going to slow down and stay there all day and make you say bad things about me because you don't scare in, me. In my defense, it's not that conscious. I just, uh-huh. I just need to get places fast. I'm like ducking because I know that they're going to slam on their brakes or something bad is going to happen. So. I I am, I'll admit, I tend to be on the more aggressive side of driving. Yes, yes but you're, you are the Stig. What? You are the a professional race car driver. Well, I not really. In but your I'd dreams. Like, yes. Okay. So, I am there. So anyways, so you do that and then you speed really fast. Like you'll go like 150 miles an hour. I do not recommend this for you guys that are listening. You're telling all of my naughty secrets. 
I only said one thing. I know, but this is all leading up to your quirk that you do. What is the quirk? So the quirk that you do is like, you kind of like do like this neck crack pop turn, like kind of like, uh, didn't see me or uh, in your face. And you just kind of like tilt your head back and forth really quick to the right to the left. And then you continue on your way. So it's like, when you do that, I'm like, I know he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. (laughs) So that's probably like one of your biggest quirks, just driving with you. I don't drive anymore. I don't even have a driver's license anymore because I can't renew it through the DMV. And I'm just, I'm choosing not to. What do you mean you cannot renew your driver's license? What do you mean you don't have a driver's? This is new news to me. Yeah. Is this why I'm always driving? It's expired. What? Yeah. Seriously? I don't need to drive. I mean, until you get me a Volkswagen bus, I'm not driving. There, I said it. No more. <laughs> wow. Actually, um, I'll take a new Bronco. Yeah. Or I'll take, um, I really want an old beat up truck. I know you do. Like a, an old, old Chevy. Like that's like. I want that. I want a truck that mm-hmm. looks like that bug that we passed. Yeah. We'll we passed this Volkswagen bug that was probably like a 60s, 67, 68 bug, something mm-hmm. like that. But it was one of these that was rusted on all the panels and stuff, but they had cleared clear painted over it like so it had a clear coat on it so it was all shiny it looked like a glazed donut jennifer always thinking about food well that's what it looked like a super talking about cars cars are cars they're not food i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i could eat it all right you ready for joke time i'm ready you got you got a joke fired up i do have a joke fired up you got a joke in the cannon it's in the cannon shoot okay What do you find at the end of a rainbow? A pot of gold. Everyone knows that. No. What? Violet. What? That's at the end of the rainbow is violet. Purple. Was that the joke? When have you ever seen a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow? When have I ever seen violet? It's purple in the rainbow. How am I? How is that a joke? That's funny. (laughs) Because you thought it was a pot of gold, and it's not. It's purple, violet. I, I, I don't, I don't know if that was a joke or not. But I'll go with it. I didn't even fire oh, up the laughter. Oh, I think it's a joke that you thought there's a pot of gold. Like that's not real. That's what they say. But that's not real. It's as real as saying that there's violet at the end of a rainbow. Believe in leprechauns too. What? Do you believe in leprechauns the too? Small little green people. Do you believe in unicorns? Maybe I do. Maybe I do. (laughs) You ready for my joke? I'm always ready for your joke. How do you find Will Smith in the snow? I don't know. You look for the Fresh Prince. Oh, I love that show. I love that show. I clearly won the joke off. I didn't laugh. I just said I love that show. What? Yeah. Mine was clearly more funny than yours. No. Yours wasn't even a joke. It's like you find Violet at the end of the rainbow. I was waiting for the punchline. If you... And I ask a question. You said yesterday that a joke needs to have a question. I even asked a question. <laughs> How come I didn't get a pity laugh? Because I, I don't think that was funny. Really? Yeah. How do you find Will Smith in the snow? Cute. I thought Fresh it was cute. Fresh Prince? Yeah. I thought it was cute. But what, not what's funny. The, what's the other guys on the sh- on the show? Carlton? Yeah. If you can do the Carlton dance, I'll let you win. Okay. Here do we it. go. No, that's not it. What? No, he's got it, you know. Oh, you're you know. doing it. I know. I know the Carlton. Okay, here we go. I just don't know his name. <laughs> okay, that's kind of it. <laughs> too <laughs> we, bad. We should too probably move on. Who are we yeah. talking to today? We are talking 
to Beth Sullivan Jowitz today. Oh, sounds like a Star Wars character. She sounds awesome. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to talk to her. She's got an incredible story. She's going to teach us about neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro or neuro? Well, I, th- I think I said it wrong. Neuro. Yeah, it came out of my mouth wrong. I knew what I was thinking in my <laughs> head, but it came out of my mouth wrong. It's neuro-linguistic neuro-linguistic. programming, otherwise known as NLP. It's, it sounds like um, pasta. Jennifer, always with you with the food. Yeah, linguini. <laughs> Doesn't it? I guess. Neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. You, you just thought linguini. You just, like, your mind immediately goes to the food. It does. All right. Well, I want to get her on the line because mm-hmm. she's going to talk to us about how to kind of reprogram that negative language that we all have playing in our heads. Yeah. But before she does that, she's going to tell us about her life and okay. some of the things that she's overcome. And I think it's going to be an awesome message of hope. And I think we're going to learn something. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn, too. So let's call her get her on the line. Let's do it. All right, I've got Beth Sullivan Jowitz on the line. Beth, how are you today? I am doing very well, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. It's a bright, sunshiny day here in California. What part of the country are you in? I'm in Broward County near Fort Lauderdale. And it's sunny too, but it is so humid. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we've interviewed, I want to say, probably in the last couple of weeks, four or five people from Florida. And we yes. hear about tropical storms, hurricanes, humidity, rain. I mean, I think that's an interesting place to live. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's something brewing out there, tropical storm-wise right now, but it's that time of year. Hey, that's that's what happens, right? That's what happens yeah. at this time of year in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought uh, I thought where we would begin is uh, if you could just share with us a little bit about uh, yourself, your background. Are you married? Do you have kids? What do you do for a living? And then that will frame our beginning conversation. And then I want to get into, obviously, uh, the message of hope that we try to embark on with all of our guests. And I know you've been through your fair share of trials and tribulations. But let's give our listeners a little overview of who you are and, and uh, your, your familial status. Of course, I'm married and I have one son. He's 20 years old and I'm getting ready to take him back to college. He's going to be doing online learning, but at the college itself on Saturday. I was born and raised in, actually born in Philadelphia, raised in Maryland, and have lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, spent a lot of time in your neck of the woods, well, first San Diego and then San Francisco in Northern California before moving to Florida about 18 years old. I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner and I trained last year for neurolinguistic programming and timeline therapy and hypnotherapy and I coach I treat people for psychiatry and I do a lot of interventions using neurolinguistic programming and timeline therapy oh this is this is awesome this is going to be a fun uh, conversation neurolinguistic <laughs> therapy Say that say that three times, Jen. I I can't say that. I have to write it down. <laughs> did you just write you write a note yeah. about it? Yes, I did. You're like, okay, neurolinguistic therapy. Uh, for for layman's, what what does that mean? Well, it's neurolinguistic programming, and probably somebody who's been trained in neurolinguistic programming and does much more that's pretty well known is Tony Robbins. Oh. But it's really looking at the neurology and how we view the world using our senses, and then the 
the language, our self-communication that we receive from others and to ourselves, where we code the information. This is really important because often how we code things is based on prior, prior experience, traumatic events, and it's not always accurate. And then the, the programming is how we use that information to get our desired outcomes in life. And neurolinguistic programming is really looking at how we're computing all that information and how we're looking at things to get the things we desire and the states we desire in our life. I love that because I'm a big, big, big fan of the idea that words are powerful, that they matter. What you say matters, how you say it matters, what you say to yourself, what you say to others. You know, I think that that words are some of the most powerful things in the universe. And I think what you're saying is agreeing with that in that how you frame the world, how you think about it, the boxes that you put yourself in or that you put situations in, all of that stuff matters to how you experience you know, others, the environment, the world in general. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, if you think of information coming in in a communication model, I'll just give a brief example. Information comes into me, somebody says something. Now, it goes through my state, I'm, physical state I'm in. So if I'm in the pouring rain versus on a beautiful, cool, sunny day, that affects it. All of my decisions, my values, my beliefs, my memories, on down the line. And then after I filter it, inaccurately <laughs> through all that stuff, I spit something out in my mind and then from there I make a decision and I have a certain state, you know, whether I'm joyful, sad, angry. So, yeah, so words are so powerful, but we tend to, ch- and, and, and information is so powerful, but we tend to change it and switch it and move it based on things that have happened to us that we perceive to be a certain way in the past. So using different language changes people's lives. I just I just got a, a, a mental image of what you're talking about when you talk about filtering and changing it and moving it and, and that kind of thing. I, I got a mental image of one of those coin machines where you dump all the coins in yeah. and it sorts them and it got to take the pennies and the dimes and, you know, put them all here and then add it all up and stuff. So we do that subconsciously mm-hmm. with words and experiences coming coming our way. Yeah, ab- it, absolutely. And you can see how it alters everything. If you don't mind, I'll just say a little bit more since we're on the neurologistic yeah, programming. Absolutely. One reason I really got into these modalities is because I was doing psychiatry and working with fabulous therapy, therapists treating people with addiction and mental health concerns. And we helped, but we needed things that worked a little quicker, you know, like on the spot or in a week where we could really shift somebody because the outcomes were not always favorable as you might imagine. And, and time wasn't always so on your side really, in those situations. I mean, if you're dealing with somebody that's that's facing addiction, it's not like you can take forever to come up with a solution. Right. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's meet for three months. You know, that's really not, you know, how, you know, let's, I mean, really, there's so, so much urgency there. It's probably the best, the best way to put it. And, you know, when we talk about, I use unconscious, the same as subconscious or interchangeable, but the, the power of the unconscious mind I mean, it really steers the conscious mind in what direction to go. And it, and it listens to us, every word. It's like the, the best analogy is the unconscious mind is like the most brilliant six-year-old child. I mean, it's brilliant. And it wants to give the conscious mind every single thing it wants, but it doesn't process negative. So when people say, I don't want to be in debt, it's like debt. I don't want to be unhappy unhappy. I don't want to be anxious. It's like anxious. You know, so you talk about the power of language of like saying, I am joyful no matter how you feel. I'm moving towards joy. I'm moving towards abundance. It changes people's lives and to some degree overnight. 
I love that. That's really, really powerful. That's a good, that's a good, good point. And I think that that's really what I'm, I'm trying to further investigate and understand is just really how powerful those phraseologies can be instead of saying something in the affirmative of the negative. In other words, I'm not good at this. I'm, I always lose, or I don't think I'll ever get this or that. Finding a different way to state it in a more positive outcome potential, I think is, uh, is key to kind of changing your viewpoint. And, and I think it's almost a little bit of the law of attraction too. You know, I firmly believe that what you put out there positive is going to come back and what you put out negative is going to come back. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, they're definitely in alignment. Absolutely. Well, you're doing some incredible work, you know, but I just have to say, reading about your situation, reading about you in general, uh, the path to get to where you are right now has not been an easy one. Is that true? <laughs> that is true. Why don't you share with our uh, listeners a little bit about uh, some of the, the, I guess, the more formative struggle that you went at, you encountered and went through uh, earlier in your life? I grew up in a family that was very heavy in substance abuse, and I don't, and I'm sure that you wouldn't want me to, or I would I get into the, the exact trauma, but I experienced a lot of trauma, my sister and I. Both my parents have died from medical conditions related to addiction. They're currently deceased, but there was a lot of chaos. So when I was 13 years old, and I picked up my first substance, and I was numb, I was like, oh, I found the answer. This this is perfect. I, I want to feel nothing. And I chased that for many years. I be, I, I went from like alcohol to pills and it, at the same time graduating college. But I was always that person like at the end of the night, like people would be like, oh, I want to go home. Or they'd say like, it's last call. And I would be, I mean, I mean, am I trying to be funny? I would be like devastated. Like that was like, why do you need last call? Because I had to face myself. I had to feel how, see how. You know, feel those feelings of feeling inadequate and not good enough and some of that negative language that I was told as a child and some of those experiences just milling in my head. I mean, it was it was like a, its own little haunted house, and I wanted to do anything I could to escape it. So I progressed in my, in my addiction, and time went on, and eventually I, you know, I moved to harder drugs. I ended up... Uh, using IV opiates, IV heroin, and I, it, you know, I had met a couple opportunities to get into recovery, and this is so important, and at least for me, when I share it with with the people I treat and the the people I work with in recovery, and you know, in my recovery fellowship and so forth, is that I thought like they they would give out statistics like you know two out of ten will make it, and I'm thinking why me? Like I'm a piece dirt you know I'm a gutter rat why would that happen to me why would I be the one to to make it so then there you go again how important that language is yeah and 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 I I continued to spiral and I was given opportunities to help myself and I didn't take if you can imagine this the life-saving suggestion I mean somebody's giving me a recipe I'm like suicidal I'm wanting to die I can't stop using substances my life is horrible. I can't stand who I am. And I don't even want to be conscious. And somebody's giving me, you know, this life-saving recipe. I always think of someone someone who's, who's dying, you know, of cancer or something like that. If somebody were to come to them, listen, you just need to follow these steps. And they may seem a little daunting in the beginning, but you get to live. They would do anything at that, for that chance and that opportunity. Yet I would be like, I don't know. And it was so hooked in with being undeserving 
and not worthy. Like, why would I be saved? Why am I worth saving? And with that, I am so blessed that God was watching over me, that I had a few opportunities to, to get it right, to, you know, listen to someone reaching out to me and, and offering me hope. Because it's really, I think, and I love what you guys are doing with, with this podcast, but it's the great value of experience, strength, and hope. I mean, somebody who's walked that road before who can say, oh, wait a minute, I've done this. This is, this is how you do it, is unbelievable. And I've had so many mentors who have shown me the way. I'm extremely grateful to be in recovery for 19 years. That's awesome. You know, there were so many things, thank you, that I, 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 I mean, I could probably, we could probably do this for two hours if I were to tell you all the things <laughs> I did wrong in trying to get to that process. But I the have, most important things are the lessons that I learned in, in, in what worked. Yes, I agree. And I, I guess the question that I had is that, so as a, as a, as a young child, uh, I was living for the first eight years of my life, nine years, actually 10, I was living with a, a man that was my mom's husband, my stepfather, but he was not my biological father. And he was verbally abusive. He would say very negative things about me to me. You know, you're never going to be successful. You're not going to amount to anything, you know? And so I just imagine, I, I mean, I listened to what you're saying. I, I heard you say you, you thought of yourself as a gutter rat and some of those words that you would use. I mean, were you told that as a kid? Were you, were you, is that just you replaying words that were uttered to you by your parents in, in their, in their addiction and their drug use, et cetera? Actually, that's actually probably a little kinder than, and, and just to kind of get a link on uh, my, my parents, you know, heavy alcohol, my mom with a lot of benzodiazepines. My mom came from a long history of abuse and it took me a long time to do the work to forgive, uh, you know, to gain that forgiveness. Because it, if you see where she came from, it, it almost, it doesn't make it okay, but it makes sense. But she was extremely violent. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of uh, beating, a lot of, I wish you were never born, uh, words I can't really, you know, repeat on this podcast, uh, a lot of disruption towards my sister and I, and my, and my parents were, my dad was very loving. He worked very hard. He did, he was, you know, a, a, an alcoholic. They, they, there was violence between them on both sides physical violence towards each other, but he, he was never verbally or physically abusive, but it, I mean, it, I mean, it was brutal. And at one point I, I mean, I remember one time I was like, I, I'm just going to kill myself. You know, you, I think I was, I think I was 12. I'm like, yeah, probably 12, no, 14. I think I was 14. I'm just going to kill myself. And I remember taking a knife out of the drawer and my mom grabbed it and just stabbed me. Whoa. I mean, it's just, it was that insane. I mean, she was, you know, she was under the influence and, you know, and that's, that, that trauma breathes, you know, breathes, um, more trauma until somebody, you know, breaks that cycle. You know, what, it, what a gift, you know, for me to be able to say, you know, I have a son, like I said, he's 20 years old. I got into recovery two days before he turned one. It's his entire childhood growing up and he was, pretty much with his dad more than he was with me until I got my act together. And then I was, I, we divorced when he was seven and I was a single mom with him before I got remarried. If, if five minutes of my childhood happened in his life, he would be like, what are you talking about? I don't do this. This is not my life. 
and what a gift to have that opportunity with the help of so many people who showed me the way to not have to repeat that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a story of hope. I think that's a story of chains being broken. Right. You know, I'm a big advocate of that. I I have been uh, without alcohol since 2009, uh, going back to 2009 in a, in a business I was running at the time, and the economy had tanked, and people weren't wanting to invest money, and my income, you know, just dropped, and our expenses went up, and it was just one of those times where I, I went to alcohol to numb that pain. I was going through a 750 milliliter bottle of vodka every two days. Jen, Jen wasn't having it. She yeah. was, she was going to be like, <laughs> you, you know, she, she finally towed the line with me and said, you know, you better shape up or ship out one of the two. Yeah. We had intervention yeah, for we, sure. <laughs> and, uh, what was, what was really, I think powerful was just this idea in my head that I've, I've got to get a handle on this because I got four boys mm-hmm. and I do not want to show them an example of, you know, being a man going to alcohol to solve the problems or to numb the pain or to whatever. So I'm a big advocate for about, you know, breaking those chains and those, those cycles. Well, your father was an alcoholic as well. Yes. So that's where it kind of came from. And then us having four boys, we definitely didn't want to repeat that cycle. Yeah. And he was one of these uh, happy drunks, you know, which I think is, is actually a a greater disadvantage to the idea of stopping drinking because I mean, he wasn't like verbally abusive to me. My, I live with my, biological father from 10 until 20. And so he's who I'm speaking of now, not my stepfather, but he, he would, um, you know, he'd drink, he'd get drunk and he'd be happy. He'd be goofy. He'd be funny, Mm -hmm. you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And so I just, I just learned that's what you do. If you want to have fun, you drink, or if you want to forget about your problems, you start drinking, you know? So I guess the question I have for you, Beth is, I mean, at, at that, at that level, you know, you talked about going from alcohol to harder substances to, heroin, it, it, et cetera, like how did you finally arrive at a place where you were able to begin to build a different life for yourself? I, there were a few different things that occurred, and one was pretty consistent, but I couldn't really hear the message, and that was people, because I would be in, you know, around people in recovery, people who wanted to help me, and they kept giving me that incredible message of like, you are worth it. You are worthwhile. You know, you, you belong on this earth. You're a gift. And so like, it would like fall off of me. Like they can't be talking to me. You know, it, you know, it was so crazy in my head. What was going on? Like, what does that even mean? I mean, I remember like being that far into it and, and being somewhere with some people trying to help me. And somebody said something, that was funny and they laughed not at anybody but but and I remember just like like what is that sound like I hadn't heard laughter in so long like what is that sound but I was surrounded so that was happening so people were and that's again the power of of of, you know being a stand for people and, and 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 speaking into their greatness until they see it because they will eventually they will so people were feeding me that and I was able to get a little bit of clarity. And I remember kind of, I, by, right, the last thing that happened is I decided I was going to die. Um, I, you know, I was, I was not worth anything. And again, like I was in, in almost in a dramatic kind of suicidal way, but at the same time, I really was hopeless. 
And I was going, should I try, you know, the insanity of addiction? Should I try recovery one more time or should I just kill myself? Like, I'm weighing these two options. And guess what? They're like equal weight and actually dying was winning. And I sat down and I just, I, I said a prayer and I was like, you know what? Let me try one more time. I mean, I had checked myself into a hotel. I had a suicide note written and I, I tried and I allowed myself to really see. And I remember how painful it was to say, this is my life. How did this even happen? It was like I was asleep and I woke up and I'm like, what happened to my life? But that was a building block. And there were people there to help me. And, you know, I, I progressed in, in what was recommended for me. And, and I, I did um, treatment myself and just followed the, the suggestions. I mean, the people, people came to me with life-saving suggestions. And then something I tell people all the time, and because this, you know, was my experience too, it's like I felt like, you know, I'll never get over that trauma because, that's who I am. Like that's who I am because that's what I got because I wasn't worth any more than that, which was a lie. And it's a little victimy, which it doesn't, you know, victims don't really recover or, you know, it's harder to find true happiness and joy in your life as a victim. But I, I was kind of stuck in that. And what I found is that, and stuff I thought I would never tell anybody that when I got into recovery and I had, you know, the ability to reach out and help other people, you know, there was so much I had to give because every time I used substances, it was as if what had happened to me as a child was still happening. Like it, it had long gone, you know, that those events had long gone, but I, I made a choice. I made the choice to continue to re-traumatize myself. So it was like, it, it was happening because it was still taking from me because the addiction itself was taking from me. And I was doing it because I was hiding that pain and trying to hide that pain and, and subdue that pain and, and be almost unconscious. And I was finally free when I was able to share with somebody who had something similar and they thought there's no way and I'm a piece of trash and I'm never going to get through this. And I'm like, oh, listen, let me just tell you this story. And that's when I won. Well, that's when I got on the other side. I mean, there was other work to be done because I was able to share it with someone else. Wow. And they just... didn't have to die. And somebody shared it with me, and I didn't have to die. On down that line, like the life-saving messages going from person to person. I just, I just marvel at the power of just human communication. You know, just somebody taking the time to listen and share, and then you sharing and listening, yeah. and then all of a sudden, like it created a foundation for you then to to grow from. So, it, just to clarify, um, how long were you uh, abusing? drugs and substances, et cetera. So it, and what age did you start treatment that, that stuck and then got you on the path you're on right now? Well, I picked up substances at the age of 13. I started drinking and I've been in recovery for 19 years. So 30, 30, I got into it right around 30, a little after 30. So no, actually a little later than that, yeah, like 35, I got into long-term recovery. Wow. So, wow, you're, ta you're talking about over 20 years yeah. of being, you know, in a situation where you felt like your life wasn't your own, where it was out of control, where you couldn't, where you didn't have clarity or decision-making. I mean, that's extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think probably really, really rare that somebody that has 
been um, abusing drugs and and alcohol and other substances for that long would actually you know rise out of that. Right. That's that's just a huge testament to, I think, two things. Number one, you, and number two, God in you, right. helping you to to see see the light, see the see that you were built for a purpose. Because mm-hmm. I I look at what you're doing right now, and I'm just absolutely aghast that you have turned your life around now and are directing those experiences, those life experiences, to the benefit of others. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and it wasn't like I mean a lot of alcohol in the beginning, and it wasn't always that hardcore, but it was many years, and it was yeah. only with God's grace that I survived. Absolutely. So surviving and then recovering, that's what led you to want to be in, you know, uh, a a nurse practitioner and mental health, et cetera. I was a, I was a nurse, a registered nurse already. And I had worked, you know, when I was drinking and stuff, I wasn't drinking on the job. And there was many years I would say I was functioning, maybe barely functioning, but I was functioning. But at the end, the last years of my addiction, I mean, I, I, who could work? I wasn't to barely walk. I mean, I was that out of it. So I, I remember, you know, I never did anything on the job that would, would risk it. And I was a number of years, I just stopped working. So when I got into recovery, you know, I, my first job was working in an antique store because I didn't know what to do. It was like such a cool job because I I was somebody that would be like, oh, yeah, I don't know if I'll paint the walls in my house because I do a terrible job. And not because I'm lazy, because I had, I had no self-confidence. So here I was in this antique store, like learning to refinish furniture and all these things. So it was like perfect because it, it, any little way to build confidence, right? So it really builds my confidence to actually paint my house and things like that. And then I started working in addiction treatment. And I was as a triage nurse. And one day somebody said to me, who was actually somebody who was very instrumental in helping save my life, a psychiatrist who happened to be the medical director there. And he said to me, you know what? You would be fantastic as a, as a psychiatric nurse practitioner working in addiction. I'll give you a job. I think you really should go back to school. And I remember thinking, oh, what are you crazy? Do you know how, much, how many brain cells I've killed? You know, I was a party girl in undergrad. Like, my, my score was that great. And I, that's the first conversation. But then I sat there for a minute because this has, you know, been my experience too. Um, and I, I should backtrack on that, but I will after I say this statement, is that I thought for a second, what if he's right? Mm. And, and, and I, I thought, this whole, you know, hang on to that. What if he's right? And that experience had happened to me when I got my first sponsor and I was in my last treatment. And she had said to me, listen, in four months, we're going to go to this convention and it's so much fun. And it'll be me and you and a bunch of these great girls. And we just have a really good time. And, you know, everybody's just so kind. And, and I thought, two months, three months, she thinks I'm going to be, you know, not using in that, that period of time. And that, that same time, I had this teeny piece of light that, that crept into my mind and said, well, what if she's right? Like, I didn't have the confidence in myself. And when he said to me about going back to school, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going back to school to be a psychiatric nurse practitioner so I can work in addiction. And I, I wanted to apply to one school in particular because not everybody had that master's degree. They, there were many master's degree in nursing. It wasn't a doctorate at the time, but master's degree in nursing. But there weren't many that had psychiatry in my local area. So I applied to the school and I sent them my, my GPA from undergrad, and it was not impressive. And they wrote <laughs> me and said, listen, you know, you don't meet our criteria. 
no, no, thank you. And and so I, I, mean, I was like, but no, but I really want to go. You know, I really, I'm serious. You know, I, I, you know, I'm older. I, I, I you know, this is my calling. You know, I, I you know, I, I want to help people in this way. And so every week I would write them a letter, and they would write me back and say, you know, thank you for writing, but you don't meet the criteria. And this is really a, a great story, so I'd love to share it here. And then I, I'd write again, and then finally I think I wore them down. <laughs> and they, they said to me, why don't you come down and you can meet with the entire board and tell us, because I had like a, I needed a 3.0 GPA, and I had a 2.7 or 2.8 coming out of undergrad, in person, why we should let you into the program. So like I got dressed, I had like this early recovery, like, you know, I was doing the work and things were working out and I, you know, I, I was, the universe had my back, you know, I just really felt like in the mix because I was, I was, you know, surrounded by the energy of people doing so much, so many kind things and doing kind things myself. There just was this magic that was going on, of course, you know, with God smiling and shining down. So I got all dressed up and I went there and, you know, some days I wish I had that same gumption that I had. And, and there were there were 14 people in this like semicircle, and I told them that it was so important to me that my parents had died from addiction. Actually, my mom hadn't died yet; she actually died when I was in school. But they were they were addicts and alcoholics, and I really this was so important to for me to help. And I didn't tell them that I was myself, only because I didn't want them to judge me. And what they told me is you needed for the school itself you had to carry a 3.0, but that was never like an A and a C, so it was. The lowest grade you could get was a B. Um, so we're all A's and B's to get through the grad, graduate school. And they said, listen, we're going to let you in. You have to carry a 3.5 for your first two semesters or you're out. And I was like, oh, I can do this. And I remember my head going, what do you mean you could do this? You could never do this. It's never going to happen. <laughs> and, and, but I'm like, you know, I can do it. I applied. What I applied, for one, I asked for help when I needed it. You know, I, 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 I applied, you know, my skills of organization and just, you know, having some belief in myself and if I needed to take extra time doing it and taking it seriously. I mean, this was a whole different ballgame for me. And and I don't think this in a way to brag, but what I'll tell you how, how the gifts open up. When it was all said and done, I graduated with a 4.0. They gave me two scholarships and played for half, half of my schooling. They asked me to speak at this banquet, a scholarship banquet with 300 people. And it was funny because that was at the very end and I spoke at the banquet. I'm like, and I'm in recovery. Oh, I forgot to mention that before, but hey, yeah, I'm so happy to be doing this career. And when I sat down, because I was sitting down to the nicest gentleman who had given me the biggest scholarship in, his, uh, in honor of his mom, who was a nurse who had, who had passed away, the director of the entire program came over and she said, Beth, you should be so proud of yourself. I didn't give you two weeks. Whoa. <laughs> That is incredible. Number one, kudos to you. That right there is determination. Yes. That's I, I feel like that's destiny. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was God's love shining down on you, getting you into that. And then persistence. Like you write the letters. Like you just yeah. just not take a no for an answer. You're like, I got the gumption. I got it. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go do it. And then you did it. Yes. Yeah, you know, and, and so blessed to do so because that's what I wanted to do. And I know that was like sort of the longer answer, but then to be able to sit in front of people, you know, with mental health concerns and addiction, which I do part-time now, but I've done for, over, you know, over 11 years, you know, having that understanding of where they're coming from, but also that understanding of like, you know what, the, the whole story of like, you know, I'm just a piece of trash. Well, you know, nobody's saying that here. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and let's, let's stop talking about, you know, I, I know we want some leverage, so you don't want to repeat, repeat anything, you know, don't do this because remember what happened last time, but that doesn't, that often doesn't work and people die, you know, and you're just like, well, remember what happened last time, but let's stop talking about what you did. Let's talk about what you want. Where do you want to go? You know, what kind of joy do you want in your life? Do you know with like two days in recovery, you can save the life of somebody who just walks in the door because they can't even believe somebody has two days of not using or drinking. And, you know, it, it just has given me such an opportunity. I'm so blessed in so many ways to have these opportunities and learn from all the people that I interact with. Yeah, I can I can only imagine I can see that as being awesome, too. I mean, I feel like you're on the you're, you're like someone I talked to last week You're I feel like you're on the front lines of hope, right? Because you're dealing with people that are struggling with addiction. And as soon as they realize that that addiction doesn't have that hold on them anymore, I feel like that's the moment that hope is sparked. And like you get to witness that you get to see somebody kind of come to terms with the fact that maybe this is the time right. that they that, that this is the beginning that this is the beginning of a new life a different life a better life and i and i and i love that um, so i want i want to pivot i want to i want to get into some of the stuff the neurolinguistic stuff that you talked about before because um, i fear right now during covid there's a lot of people that are anxious. I feel like domestic violence is up. I feel like child abuse is up. I feel like uh, divorce is up. I feel like anxiety, alcohol abuse, drug use, all of that stuff across the board because people are feeling nervous, anxious, overwhelmed, uncertain, fearful. And so I, I guess my question to you would be what tools could you share with us now that might help somebody that's listening, that's experiencing some of those emotions I just, uh, just discussed? The first thing, and we've already touched on it would be that, which is so important is that communication to the mind. Like I always say, you know, we always, there's that saying we are, we, the quality of your life is 100% how you think and what you think and how you process that in. So the number one thing would really be, how are you talking to yourself? You know, you know, in the in the, the present moment, how can you switch it? If it's a negative, how you can how can you switch it? Even and there's so much going on, and I know so many people are struggling on on every end. You know, with the substance abuse, with anxiety, financial concerns, people trying to to work and teach their kids, and people that have, have lost loved ones, or maybe are on the other side of surviving through COVID. What does that language look like? You know, if it's negative, you know, I am working towards calm. I am working towards peace. I am working towards joy. No matter how you feel. I mean, just a quick note on that is I have an autoimmune disorder and I was really, really sick. Like I could barely work. I was like getting home and crawling into the the house and I was doing all these holistic remedies and all these people helped me. But I was making such slow progress, and it was so daunting. And I had watched something on TV, and I thought, and this was before I did the training for NLP, and it pretty much said to me, "Is you have to say you're already healed." So I would walk around going, "I'm already healed." Listen, I'd be in bed like hysterically laughing like a crazy lunatic because I was saying I'm already healed, and I couldn't even get out of bed. And I can tell you, I was sixty percent better in three weeks. Wow! So that language is. So important. 
the I am language, the affirmative I am language. That's like affirmations, you know, like in the more I am smart, I am capable, I am talented, I am, you know, I don't think you can wake up and, and say 10 of those or 15 of those I am's and then go out and, and not feel better about yourself in the, in the hours after. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was like the, the next thing I was going to say. It's like I have all my, my clients and a lot of my friends, and I've done it before, and I've done some transformational training where it was done, is make up a contract. Because if you think of the brain as a, a computer and then there's that computer program, so everything, every time this happens, this happens. So every time somebody looks at me this way, then I, I'm angry. And sometimes I, I see this on TV. I'm sad. Like it, it knows what to do. It's not even the brain's fault. It's not even the mind's fault because it's like when this happens, this is what you always do. So I, it doesn't need to be. I could sleep on the job. You put in new information, right? And just flood it. So I am so big with the, like the contracts, like, you know, like I am a powerful, beautiful, loving, visionary leader, or I'm, you know, I, I am joyful, calm woman. I, I, you know, I am, I am productive, whatever it is. And, Say it 20 times a day or more, you know, put it, put it in the phone, put it on a mirror, scream it. And people are always like, oh, but no, I'm like, you can scream and not make a sound. Like if you feel that vibration in the middle of your chest, like, you know, the top of your lungs without a sound, you got it. It's going right into your unconscious mind. You're changing your computer program. So next time this happens, it's going to be like, oh, wait, we don't do that old thing about just sad and cry or I'm angry and isolated. Oh, we have something new going on, and, and it's you know changing that whole script. Yeah, I love I mean, that. There's so much we have so much more power than, than I think that we, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not to know all whatever it's that ever. I'll just speak with my. There was so much I didn't know about how I had power over my thinking. And I think so much about what you talked about, how you framed your addiction years, how you thought of yourself. Yeah. That was limiting. I mean, I, I, I think if you believe in God, you got to believe in the enemy, right? So you got, you, if you believe in God, th- then there's a devil. And the devil wants to kill, steal, and deceive. Deceive, I think, is his biggest weapon. I really do. Because the deceit is, is the thing that can, can take somebody that has unlimited potential and just drive them into nothingness, you know, because you do say those things. I mean, look, look at what you're doing for the positive now, but look at how you were framing your, in your own mind, thinking about yourself in the early stages of, of your addiction. It's a, just a completely different way of thinking about yeah. yourself. You know, and I think that that's the problem. I, I hear it often. And we, Jen, we remember when Madden, Madden Madden's our youngest. He's mm-hmm. our youngest boy. We have four boys. And he's the most competitive. Oh, yeah. And he went through this phase where, like, if he lost, he would sit, he would, he would affirm the negative. Oh, for sure. Remember that? Yes. And h- how upset did I get with you him? You were very upset with him. <laughs> I'm like, you don't say that thing about, you never say that about yourself. You don't ever talk that way. You don't, you know, it's like, you know. <laughs> Words this is, matter. Yeah, this is, this is like, you know, six, seven years ago. But yeah. it was just like, I do not want you owning any of that negative programming. Right. Going into your, into your, your head, especially as a, as a young child or a, a you know uh, growing child right oh yeah I love that that's so important yeah and it's all that positive self-communication and I even think of when when I got into recovery finally and I would tell people like before that like I don't know what just so people knew my standing in, in the I, I haven't quite got it together world uh, I'm a chronic relapser 
And somebody turned to me, and he was like this older, sort of like Santa Claus kind of guy that was really funny. He's since passed some years ago, but he was a dear friend of mine. Um, he just like caught my attention because he would always produce laughter. And you know what I mean? When I first got into recovery, I'm like, oh my God, not please laugh, like please. Uh, but he had said, why do you say that? You're telling yourself that's all you're ever going to be capable of. And he goes, I don't care how you do it. And I don't care how many times you relapse, but you need to change your language. And no matter how you have to explain something, you don't say it again. So people would say, if you ever relapse before, I'd be like, yeah, something like that. You know what I mean? I'd just be like, uh, you know, have you done this before? Have, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I have some history in that, but I would not say those words. And it's, that changed everything, too. Yeah, so you know, it's, it's really about the negative because it really, I mean, we're feeding it to ourselves. So, yes. you know, what, what do we, we want? What kind of life? And I do, this is a little hard to do, I think on the, on the radio, but I do a lot of anchoring techniques with people where people think of a time when they felt like really powerful and they kind of float back and think of a specific time they feel really powerful. And when the feeling comes, I have them, you know, touch their thumb or I, or touch a, a knuckle and do this multiple times, and then what happens is it's a stimulus, almost like, you know, that, like, ready button. It's, you touch it, and you, you get the emotion back. So I think when people, you know, in, in the midst of struggling, if you have some downtime, take a minute and, and think of what state do you want to anchor? Like, what state, what's an important resource state to have available at any time? You know, is, is it calm? Is it joy? Is it feeling confident or powerful? I use powerful often over confident only because I love that whole thing of, hey, it's time to step into your power or I need to step into my power, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. And spend a minute or two and just do some deep breathing and think of that time. And when you, when you feel it kick in, like a time when you're really joyful, like laughing, and when you feel it kick in, you know, just as it kicks in, like press on a knuckle and it's only for a couple of seconds because the minute it starts to, to, to kind of fade off, then let go of it and do this time, uh, you know, like five, six times and maybe do it three times a day for a week and notice what you're putting together. You'll be somewhere and you'll press on that and, and it will be a resource state. You'll shift your state. I love that. What yeah. do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's interesting. I've never ever heard that uh-uh. before. But you know, tying it into that strong emotion when that emotion hits to 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 do an a physical activation of it, and then as soon as it starts to dip, dissipate, let it go. But the more times you do that, the more frequency you do it. Yeah. It's like it's almost like a button that you can push on your on your hand. I'm gonna I'm gonna push the I feel powerful knuckle. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And 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 you just anchor all those feelings. I mean, I had a great fear of public speaking. And, you know, Toastmasters, I'll give them a lot of credit. So I went like, sort of like, really, do I have to come to the store? Uh, only because my husband was involved and he's a very powerful speaker that I said, okay, I'll give it a try. But doing NLP, the neurolinguistic programming, and part of that is anchoring and anchoring these positive resource states. And there's such a difference when I get up and speak. Well, now it's on Zoom, but when I used to get up in front of the room, but even on Zoom, if I'm hitting my anchor or not, how I might just, get caught up in my words or, or feel really nervous internally. So for that, you know, it's confidence and power and joy, sometimes being productive, just different anchored states. But the thing is, all this stuff, all these memories, even though people have gone through such significant trauma, uh, I would hope there's at least some positive memories of feeling 
feeling loved, feeling joy, maybe having laughter, standing in such a way in a room knowing that, wow, I feel really good about how I feel right now. There's something in that powerful unconscious mind that's available. It holds all of that. And, you know, instead of us maybe running to, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll mess this up because I messed something up four years ago. How about, how about that time you really did it right? Because, you know, what people don't hear enough and they don't say it to themselves enough, at least that's my experience, you know, I, I haven't been everywhere on the planet, is, you know, like, I am worthy, I am deserving, I matter. And for people, and people go through so much, and the power of their message, like the things, the things that you and Jen, John, you, John and Jen, both of you are putting out there for people, the power of that message. I always tell, tell my clients, and they're like, wow, I don't know about sharing about this. When it, and in recovery, sharing about this, I'm like, what happens to the people that don't get to hear your message? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I want, I want to do yeah. something right now with you. I just had this, it just had this come into my head. Okay. So what I'm imagining is somebody listening is struggling like the way that you struggled. I, I am imagining somebody could have uh, a struggle with addiction. Maybe they're struggling with self-esteem issues. Maybe they're struggling with just anxiety or worry or just the whole COVID thing. But what I wanted to do was let's you, me, and Jen... Let's do some of these positive affirmations for whoever's listening that might be going through that. For example, I'm going to say, if you're listening right now, you are powerful. Jen, what do you got to say? You are amazing. All right, Beth, your turn. You are worthy always. You are talented. You are strong. You are beautiful and full of light. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. God knows your message needs to get to other people because you are so important and worthwhile and people need to hear from you. You are capable of overcoming the situation that you're in right now. You can do hard things. You are so, so powerful and amazing, and you only need to take that first step. You were put on this planet for a purpose and a mission, and you will change others' lives. <laughs> oh, no. This is where Jen stalled. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you made me sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> We just want people to know, I just want you to know if you're listening, that you, 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 there's a purpose, there's a plan, there, isn't, there is a path that you are not what people have said about you in a negative way. And you're that, not alone. Yeah, you're you not know, alone. You, you, there's so many resources and people out there and, you know, friends you can call, family if you have family, you know, you're just not alone. Well, let's, t let's talk about Beth. Beth, how do people connect with you if they want to learn more about neuro-linguistic programming and or the services that you offer? Uh, well, I have a website, and it's www.fullmoontransformation.com. I do things in person, and I, I do things virtually. I mean, as you know, everything's moved to, not everything, but I've moved a lot of things to virtual. And, you know, even the hypnosis and certainly the anchoring, almost every single thing except for one thing I do with a pendulum, I'm able to do virtually. And my office phone number is 954-278-8854. 
888-888-8854. And so you do do personal sessions. You do. Yeah. I mean, if somebody, if somebody listening right now is, is feeling connected to our conversation, feeling connected to your experience, your life, et cetera, they wanted to get connected with you. They can go to the website, fullmoontransformation.com, or they can connect with you via phone at 954-378-8854. Yeah. Yeah. And also they can leave a message, a message for me on the website. Um, I do individual sessions. I do coaching. Okay, Beth, imagine that you're talking to the 20 year old Beth. What would you say to her right now? Uh, I love, I love that. You know, I was, I had no self-esteem and no self-worth because I thought, you know, I, I had nothing to give and I was always searching for someone to, I was a follower because I was always searching for a leader. And I think that John Legend actually says this in the song, but I had come, this had come to me before the song came out was that leader you've been searching for to you. Oh, I love that. That is really, really good. Well, thank you so much for your vulnerability. Yeah. Thank you for your wisdom and your experience. And I am so, so glad that you made it through that uh, very, very difficult time because Absolutely. I really feel like you're out there changing people's lives mm-hmm. for the better now and you're doing good things and you're helping people. And, you know, if you're listening right now and you're struggling, you've been through some adversity, you're, you're, in, the, you're in the valley right now, I would just say that life can be better. It can be amazing. You can do all awesome things that the best part of your life could lie ahead of you. And if you hold on to that, I think that that's hope stirring. So thank you so much, Beth, for your, for your time today. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you both so much. It was certainly my honor and pleasure to be here. All right, Jennifer, what did you think about our interview with Beth Sullivan Jobitz? I thought it was incredible for one, but I honestly think we need more Beths in our lives. I, I think that. So we've had two, mm-hmm. three, I think, actually, mm-hmm. Beths on the show. Yeah. All incredible stories. And Beth Sullivan-Jowitz is no exception. Yeah. I, I, I love that her, you know, her statements of saying, I am strong. I am worthy. I am, you know, like. I, I am powerful. It's so I have, good to say that to yourself. It's, it's a good thing. And I, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really feel like words do matter. I've said that before. They do. But how how you say them, the words that you say to yourself, the words mm-hmm. that you say to others, sometimes the smallest little seed planted in a positive affirming, you know, word to somebody else could yeah. mean all of the difference in their life. Right, right. It's just powerful. I mean, I really think you should wake up and say five positive things about yourself before you even step out of your bed. So what would your five positives be? I am strong. I am kind. I am happy. I am joyful. And I am love. And I am powerful. And I am important. And I am kind. And I am worthy. And I am Jen. That's Wow. I'm impressed. (laughs) That was awesome. What would you say? I am strong. Uh-huh. I am a child of God. Yes. I am talented. Yes, you are. I have a purpose. Mm-hmm. I am fulfilling that purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm living my best life. I am courageous. Yes. I am a world changer. Yes. I am awesome. I am awesome. Yay. Did I do it? Yes. High five. There you go. Yeah. See, affirmations. I love affirmations. See, I feel better already. Don't I you? I do. And it would not have happened had we not talked to Beth. Beth. That's why we need more Beths in this world. To I teach agree. everybody. More Beths, mm-hmm. fewer Karens. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs>
I'm talking about the naughty Karens, yeah. not the good ones. Just don't be naughty. Yeah. Just don't be naughty. More Beths, less naughty people. More compassion, more empathy. Yes. Don't be a naughty person. You say that weird. Naughty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Jen, if people want to hear more mm-hmm. about our hilarious shenanigans on the Hope Radio podcast, how do they do so? If they want to hear about our hilarious shenanigans on the you Hope can, Radio you podcast? Can, yeah, you can search any podcast platform. I guess my point is, where can they find us? <laughs> like Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to your podcast, we are there. Yes. So, any podcast platform like you choose. Like and subscribe. And give us five stars, glittery stars. Fives and yeses. Fives, yeses, and glittery stars. And if you want to reach out to us and maybe be a potential guest on our show, we would we would love to talk to you. Yeah. Um, you can reach us at Hope Radio Podcast on Instagram and Hope Radio Podcast on Facebook. Just message us and we'll respond in like an hour. Guess what? What? We're gonna have another Beth on the show tomorrow wow a mary beth i just said we need more beths and you've delivered hey i pulled out another one i love it and i can guarantee you this yes her story is going to be powerful Mm. just like beth sullivan jowitz okay i'm ready i i feel i feel like we're on a roll if your name is beth call us we need to talk to you (laughs) yeah we are on a roll so we're going to do that we're going to talk to her about her life about some of the trials and tribulations that she went through. And mm-hmm. her story is a story of God's love and her faithfulness. It's a powerful message. Okay, I'm That's going to happen that. tomorrow. I'm, That's our next podcast. I'm here for it. We're doing it again. Tomorrow? We're going to have another one. Okay. 